Our first scripture reading this morning is Romans 6, Romans 6 from verse 15 to 23, which is on page 943. And then we'll turn to Luke chapter 12, where we'll read verses 35 to 48. But we'll start with Romans 6 from verse 15 to 23, which is on page 943, where Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit, that you, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we turn back to page 871, Luke 12, from verse 35 to 48. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. 
everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So far the reading. Today's sermon is entitled, Good Disciples of Christ Are Ready and Faithful Slaves. Good Disciples of Christ Are Ready and Faithful Slaves. The two passages we read this morning tell us about being followers of Jesus. Paul writes about becoming and being slaves of God. Luke, on the other hand, tells us about what being slaves of God looks like in practice. And this is especially applicable in the end times in which we live. So Paul just portrays then discipleship in terms of slavery, but Luke presents it as servanthood. Now those descriptions might seem, well, a bit contradictory at times. But when we make our way through these passages, we'll see that both of these passages tell us what it means to be good disciples, good followers of Jesus. And we'll start by looking at what Paul means when he talks about being slaves of God. And then we'll make our way into the, into the chapter in Luke, where Luke pictures for us, he gives us more insight into how being slaves of God flows out into our daily living, into our living for God on a day-to-day basis. And in the process, we'll see that these two passages tell us at least three things about being good disciples. Good disciples are, first of all, slaves to God. Good disciples are ready, and good disciples are faithful. Now, perhaps you might find it challenging to think of, of discipleship in such terms, but Paul doesn't hesitate to write to the Roman believers in Christ Jesus as slaves. He called them slaves to God. Listen again to verses 17, 18, and 22. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. When Paul talks here about becoming um, obedient from the heart, he's talking about what happened when we first bowed our knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. At that moment of conversion, we were set free from our bondage to sin. We were set free from our slavery to sin, and instead we became slaves of righteousness. Becoming a Christian means being placed under the authority of the teaching of God's word. Becoming a Christian means intentionally striving to live in obedience to God's will. Now, friends, we've been bought at at an enormous price. We've been purchased with the blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary. You and I have been bought and paid for on that cruel cross with the blood of our Saviour. In a sense, Jesus went to the, the spiritual slave market and paid for us with his blood. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, your soul does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. He has bought it. He's bought it. He's fully paid for it. You and I, both or all of us, are slaves for Jesus. He's paid for us. We are his. Now that idea of being slaves might might seem harsh or um, difficult to modern ears. 
It seems such a harsh term to use. It seems almost like something inherently bad. But in the New Testament times, possession of slaves wasn't seen as something that was morally wrong. Slaves were under the control of their owners, yes. They did all kinds of jobs from from working in the fields to managing property or, or an estate, teaching children. The important thing for us to understand when we hear about or talk about being slaves to God or a slave of Christ is that it means giving up our own will and wholeheartedly serving the will of the master. That's what we need to remember in this description of being slaves. It means giving up our own will and instead wholeheartedly serving the will of the master. Being a slave to Christ means being willing to submit to Jesus in all that you do, with all that you are, with all that you have. Being a slave to Christ means surrendering your all to him. Being a slave to Christ means serving him with all your being. It means subjecting your will to his. Now perhaps you're thinking, hold on a minute, Colin. Paul may be be describing believers as, as slaves to God, but... That's not what Jesus says in this passage in Luke. And you're right, well, you're partially right if that is the case. The ESV, as, as most English translations, use the, use the word servant in the chapter in Luke rather than slave. And servant is indeed a, a fair translation of the Greek word doulos. But what we need to keep in mind is that, as the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament puts it, this word doulos or slave refers to either the status of a slave or the attitude corresponding to that of a slave. It undeniably has to do with performing a service, not because it's a matter of choice, but because that person is subject as a slave to the will of his or her master. And it's this this idea of being under the authority or under the will of a master that sits under this meaning of of the word slave or doulos. Think about it this way. If we have been bought and paid for by Jesus, is he not the owner of our very souls, of our lives? If he's bought us at that spiritual marketplace, so to speak, are we not his slaves, his property? In the context of surrendering all to Jesus, in the context of serving him with all that we are, with all that we have, is there another term that would better describe than the one that Paul uses of of being a slave to God, of being a slave to Christ? Of being a slave to the one who, in his amazing love, sent Jesus to redeem us, to ransom us from the bondage of sin? A servant serves his or her master, yes. But at the end of the day, that servant gets to go home to do what he or she wants to do. But dearest brother and sister, if the Holy Spirit has so worked in our hearts that we have given our hearts to Jesus, then we belong to him not just on a Sunday morning, but every day. If we've professed him as Lord of our lives, we don't get to clock off when we walk out of these doors. If he's our master, then we are not just casual labor. We're in full time. We're in it for the long haul. 
For friends, our lives and our souls belong not to us, but to Jesus. Jesus says, child, you are mine. I have bought you at a huge cost. We are slaves to Jesus. And again, this might be uncomfortable to some, but, or because of, you know, at our very core, we want to be free. We want to be free to do our own thing. Free to be masters of our own destiny. Free to be masters or captains of our own ship. But we will either be slaves to sin or slaves to Jesus. There's no middle path. And it may seem like a paradox, but being bound to God, being bound to his will, enables us to become free. It's the greatest freedom there is. It enables us to become what God wants us to be. I don't know if you know the composer, the author, Michael Card. He puts it something like this in the song, A Better Freedom. Christ revealed himself to me, enslaved my soul to set me free. I was bound to him at Calvary and found a better freedom. He has purchased and unchained my heart. A shining slavery did impart to find a better freedom. A slave to sin, my heart before, was bolted like a prison door. But in slavery to the risen Lord, I found a better freedom. The beauty of being a slave for Jesus is that it is absolutely liberating. No longer do we have to serve other masters. We only have one master, Jesus. No longer are we enslaved to sin because the Holy Spirit now dwells in us and sanctifies us. And even though we still succumb to temptation, we are forgiven because of the master whom we serve. Even though we are sinful saints, we are free to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ, co-heirs with our Saviour Jesus. We have the freedom to serve our Lord with gratitude. We have the freedom to come to God in prayer. We have the freedom to call Jesus our brother. We have the freedom to call the almighty Lord of hosts, Abba, Father, as we sang earlier. What amazing and magnificent freedom being a slave of Jesus brings. With all that in mind, what does our text in Luke then tells us about being a true disciple, a true slave of Christ? When we look at these verses, we, we have to remember that they said in the context of Jesus' return. They're part of Luke's description of that time between Jesus' first and second coming. And those are the days that we are living in right now. We are still living in the time between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And that's what makes this passage so important. Because Jesus gives us at least two characteristics of our walk as we wait for him to return. The first of these is that the good disciple is always ready. Jesus will come again. That's one of the great themes of the New Testament. It's a certainty. The New Testament tells us time and time again, Christ is coming. But there's also another certainty, and that is that the time of Christ's return is near, and yet it will come unexpectedly. No one knows when it will be, not even the angels. 
as Jesus tells us in that magnificent chapter in Mark where he describes the, the signs of the end of times, only the Father knows when Jesus will come again. And that has to have implications for those of us who are followers of Jesus. As verses 35 to 40 uh, explain, Jesus tells his disciples there what this means. Listen again to those verses. I'm just going to read them again. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The imagery that Jesus uses here is of being dressed, of staying dressed for action. He speaks about being in a state of readiness, being awake with, with lamps burning. It's all about being prepared, about being alert, but also about being willing. And folks, it has to do with self-sacrifice. It has to do with self-sacrifice as we wait for our Lord's return. For you see, to be dressed and to be ready to go meant that these servants, these slaves, did not slack off. They were to be ready at any time, even in the middle of the night. To be dressed for action meant they, they needed to wait up for their master. They were ready to serve their master at all times. They sacrificed, they sacrificed of themselves to serve him, to be ready for him when he came. These loyal men and women planned ahead. They made sure they kept, they kept their lamps burning and, and ready. They had a clear direction, a clear plan. They kept watch so they'd be ready for their master's return. Everything they did was done with the return of their master in mind. Their eyes and their minds and their thoughts were focused on that thing, his return. Is this how you and I live as we wait for our Saviour Jesus to return? In these final days, do we live with our, with our Master's return in mind? Are our decisions, are our actions taken with the second coming of Jesus in mind? When we have our discussions with our neighbours, is it just a a friendly chat because we enjoy the, or their company? Are we re, or are we ready to share the gospel with them in and out of season because we love them as God tells us to, because we love them and we want them to be part of God's kingdom too? When we speak to our children, do we speak to them with that in mind too? Do we share the gospel with them in and out of season because we love them and we want them to be part of our kingdom too, or our kingdom, God's kingdom? 
when we do whatever work we do, do we slack off because the boss is not watching because he's gone out for the afternoon? Or we do, do, do we do our work as if we were working for the Lord because we know he's coming? When people ask us why we believe, are we ready with our testimonies? Do we take our reasons for believing, believing in Jesus with us to uni, to our workplace, so that we can be ready to stand up for Jesus, to share that good news of the coming, the imminent coming of our Lord? When we sit in school and the teacher goes out of the classroom, do we slack off because he or she can't see us any longer? Or do we tackle even that boring schoolwork as if it was given to us by the Lord Jesus himself? Are we ready? Are we prepared? Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, do we stand ready? Do we live with our eyes focused on our master and on his return? Are we dressed for action? How are we serving our redeeming Lord in this time that we wait for his second coming? Are we ready to serve Jesus whenever we can? Are we ready to serve Jesus wherever we can? Are we ready to serve Jesus however we can? If Jesus is your master, if you've given your life to him, he will equip you with what you need to serve him. He will give you everything you need to serve him. You are able to serve him wherever, however, whenever. Can I encourage you as, as Paul encouraged Timothy to keep fanning the flame of your ministry gift? When Christ comes again, he will bless those who stand ready to, to welcome him. Blessed indeed are those who stand ready, who live with eyes and minds and thoughts focused on the return of our Saviour. That's the first characteristic that, that Jesus shares with us, is that a good disciple is ready. But a good disciple is also faithful, says Jesus. Now, there is a bit of overlap between readiness and, and faithfulness. Normally, the one who is ready to serve and ready for the master's return is also the one who is faithfully obedient. The, the servant who is faithful is the one who, who does the work the master expects him or her to do and whom the master will find active and busy and awake when he returns. So the picture that Jesus paints in the verses that we read earlier is a picture of someone who's ready and faithful, a picture of someone who's working for his or her master, no matter whether it's day or night. It's a picture of good and faithful servants, ready in the first or the second or the third watch of the night, ready from sunset to sunrise. And they continue being ready for their master, faithfully, even through the night. So in a sense, Jesus colours in this picture for us of a, of a wise and faithful servant. The wise and faithful servant is not just the one who is awake when the master returns, but the one who is serving, the one who is ready to serve. Listen again to verses 42 to 44. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing 
when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Our gracious and merciful God requires faithful obedience from all of us, from all of his people. And here's the thing. By not knowing when Jesus returns, we've got a great opportunity to show our love and our devotion to our God, to gladly serve him faithfully with all that we have, with all that we are. Now, of course, we don't do that in our own strength, not at all. We are more and more transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. But that also makes us more and more faithful. We become more and more faithful as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, as we become sanctified through his work in our hearts. Good servants, good slaves are always working for the Lord. Yes, even when they fail in one or other task. We all fail in our tasks, right? None of us are perfect. But even when we fall in our tasks, we become more and more uh, transformed. Even when, we fall, when, even when we fall so far short of the glory of God. How are we travelling on this score? The score of being faithful? If you knew that Jesus was coming tomorrow, would this change your outlook? Would you do things differently? If you say yes then you need to look at your priorities. It goes for all of us. Faithfulness means living for Jesus in all that we do, every day. If you recognise, for instance, that your life would be different if you knew that Jesus would return tomorrow, that's good. But it also means you've got to turn back to God in repentance and ask him to guide you on the right path, to, to strengthen you on this path that you're walking through, this, through his Holy Spirit. It means you've got to pray to God for strength, to strengthen you with, with his wisdom. Again, that goes for all of us because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall so far short of the glory of God. Folks, Jesus has bought our souls with his blood. We are redeemed. And the joy of having the Holy Spirit at work in us has to lead to a changed attitude, an attitude of, of submission, surrender to the will of our God and Father. And surrendering to the Lord in that way has to mean that we have to work for him. It means we get to serve our gracious God. It means we get to wait on him. It means we can, get, we can look forward in readiness to the day when he returns. Jesus says a couple of times that those who, who faithfully serve him will be blessed with an eternal reward. And of course, we, we don't serve to, to gain that reward. We don't serve to gain that reward. We serve because we have been given this great reward already, the reward of eternal life, the promise of eternal life. Yet it is still an enormous and encouraging comfort to know that if we serve our God faithfully, we will get that reward. It's still an encouragement. 
Friends, brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, if we keep our eyes on our Master, if we focus on living for Him, if we serve Him, then it does not matter if we fail in the eyes of the world. People might think us pretty darn stupid for serving a God that they don't believe exists. They think we might be stupid. They think we're just crazy, in a sense. We fail in the eyes of the world. But if we keep our eyes on our master, if we, if we focus on living for him, if we focus on remaining obedient to him, then it does not matter what the world thinks about us. A couple of years ago, I came across a, a particular Bible course in which you were assessed or evaluated by the number of people that you brought to Christ. Think about that for a moment. You're evaluated by the number of people that you bring to Christ. Now, of course, it would be great to see many new converts, right? Probably good for one's feeling of self-worth. But our work for Christ, our work for God, is not measured by how many souls we've won for him. Our work for Jesus will be measured by our faithfulness, by our obedience. Those who have not been faithful and not been obedient will suffer the consequences, yes, as the final couple of verses of our text tells us. But Jesus will bless those who are awake, those who are ready, those who are waiting for him, those who are serving him. They will hear those magnificent words, well done, good and faithful doulos, servant, slave, come in and share in your master's happiness. What an encouragement that is for us as we live in these last days, these final days, as we look forward with anticipation to the coming of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for your amazing grace through, through which the chains of our bondage to sin have been removed. And Lord, we know that it is in Christ alone that we can experience the, the full extent of your love and grace. And we thank you and we, we thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you that we can know also that in your love you send Jesus to redeem us, to rescue us. Lord, we pray, forgive us our, our rebellion. Forgive us our sometimes lackluster love. Through your mighty spirit, O Lord, work in our hearts. Lead us on your paths. Draw us closer and closer to you. And let your grace flow like streams of living water over us. Lord, we, we do want to serve you faithfully. We want to serve you faithfully, O Lord, when, when we wait for Jesus to return. We want to be ready to welcome Jesus, even right now. We do want to be your slaves. We are your slaves, O Lord, because of Jesus. We want to submit our lives fully to you. Help us, O Lord, to do that. In your all-encompassing grace, O Lord, help us to do that, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.